0: want to give you a couple updates yesterday we had a big discovery gathering um, at Bob and Bem Seifert's home on the northwest kind of well right on the lake way up in Highland Park um, and we had an incredible time we had over 30 people that have never been a part of 180 before that were there to check out what God might be doing when we launch in November-ish time frame and the spirit there was just fantastic guys I want you to know that But we're equally excited what god's going to be doing down here especially as we steam into the fall and we welcome more people here to our church family i just want you to know our commitment to discipleship is solid we want you to offload the junk that you're carrying take hold of this relationship with jesus in a way that makes you an apprentice of christ an apprentice of jesus christ where you're moving away from all the junk that you've collected in life offloading that stuff and walking forward in victory we want that for you in a big way today is an awesome and we get into a unique passage of scripture today this is going to get fun now calling this series when god moves and it's a study through the book of acts and in order to get this thing launched here today i want to tell you about sledding in alaska Only we did it really differently I had a dad that let us do adventures and I mean adventures in a big way we had runner sleds and they were sharp runner sleds the steering mechanism was as you laid down on these things you you steered with a little wooden yoke didn't have a lot of steering just enough all that you needed and my dad would take us up to Rocky Ridge Road now as you can tell by the name of the road this was quite a ride but I loved it and so we went up to Rocky Ridge Road he would let us out and we had waxed our runners and we had no joking about a two and a half to three mile continuous run my dad would take his truck in front of us and he'd be traveling or about a quarter mile in front of us he ran interference so if there were any cars coming up the road he'd clear them out of the way and let them know My son and some friends are coming behind us here but we were flying we were moving so fast I estimate we were traveling 50 55 miles an hour on some of the straight stretches and so when we'd come around these sweeping turns I mean it was unbelievable and we got pretty good at this to the point where we're having dogfights going down rocky Ridge Road We'd be traveling 30, 40 miles an hour and we're pulling on one another's runner sleds and it is dicey. Every turn was something exciting. We'd have so much velocity coming down these hills that there was one section on Rocky Ridge Road that was actually an incline, but we had so much speed, we're just up and over the rise. No one's getting off their sleds and down again. It was so exhilarating but for every twist and turn there was something crazy what we're getting into in the text today is rocky ridge road because the church is on the move we've already witnessed a big missionary journey the first missionary journey we're about ready to get into the second Ajit did a wonderful job last week give Ajit Christopher a big hand for last week that was amazing just a powerful message. And he was illustrating for us really how a healthy church functions when it starts to sort out what are the most important things so that we aren't getting derailed by stylistic issues over substance issues. And so they whittled the gospel down to the essence of what it needed to be. But today we get into something really fun. And so I've titled this message, a little something different here today, Twist Timothy's. And turns. I should have just titled it Rocky Ridge Road. But we're going to get into some fun stuff. A couple of passages that you might look at and go, whoa, what in the world is going on here? And we're going to start with one of those right now. If you've got a Bible like a lot of you do, open them up, get to Acts chapter 15. We're going to pick up the last portion of Acts 15 starting in verse 36. And we see a row moment right out of the chute here. And after some days Paul said to Barnabas let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing let me stop right there well here's what's happening they're conversing about going back and retracing the tracks of the first missionary journey you got to get this now persecution in Jerusalem I mean, persecution to the po- point where Stephen is stoned, the disciples are getting killed or withheld food, and all kinds of political pressure is on them and social pressure. So the church is dispersed. And now the gospel's going out. Remember the Ethiopian eunuchs. So the gospel's now gone to Africa. I mean, it is on the move. Things are happening. So the first missionary journey happened, and they said, let's double back and see how they're doing. Verse 37. Now Barnabas, his name means everything here. It means son of encouragement. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, or we call him John Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work let me stop there and say what happens earlier on in Acts 12 we see that when they're on this first missionary journey out of the blue in the 12th chapter we find this citation and John Mark left them Now, the word for leaving them was a strong word. It's a word where we get apostasy. It means leaving the faith. Now, it doesn't mean that he left the faith, but it means that he left them high and dry. Now we've got a showdown. we got two great dudes in the faith, Barnabas and Paul, and what are we going to do? Barnabas wants to take him with. Look what happens. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp agreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, when it says they had a sharp disagreement, you might want some understanding on this do you know what sharp disagreement means in the original Greek language it means sharp disagreement <laughs> they were really at it with each other here guys now you wonder why in the world is this in the Bible if you're wanting to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ why are you highlighting that there is A conflict between two of the most important men in the early church fair enough this is a side note I'm gonna throw this in for free I hadn't planned on sharing it but I'm gonna give it to you now I believe this is one of the great things that validates the canonicity or the authenticity of Scripture is that the scriptures don't sanitize the church The scriptures show us just how it is so that we feel a little bit more encouraged with how dysfunctional we are now that isn't to say that this is a green light to go and argue and have issues I'm going to illustrate that in a moment but let me give you as we look at these verses and you can look back through them again it'll stay up on the screen this gives us a few things to think about and this is really important who was right this is often the question was Barnabas right was Paul right and this is the way it goes if you're taking a seminary course on this and I've done this before you get into all kinds of great theological philosophical discussions so let me give you a crash course on what some of the big high-level discussions are they are Was Barnabas right because he's a son of encouragement? Paul, he's got way too much of a leadership persona. He should have chilled out. He should have taken John Mark even though he had defected on him on the first journey. Barnabas was the right guy. He's got that understanding, encouraging spirit. We hail Barnabas. The leaders in the room, like me, say, shine Barnabas. He's the son of encouragement. You got to have encouragers. But how's the church going to go forward if you don't have leaders? And if there's one thing leaders know is you don't take guys that are weak in the knees on the trip. Who's right? Who's right? is it right for one guy not to take John Mark and the other to take him on and I want to give you the answer yes it's okay now I'm gonna give you what I believe is one of the most important implied lessons that you can find in this narrative that is powerful dr. Jim Coakley writes and teaches he's one of our elders here on how you can understand the Word of God and make this thing practical but I need you to hear me listen close right now it is important that as you're reading the Word of God you look for things that are spoken and things that are not spoken and it's what's not spoken of here that's going to be a roundhouse for us but let me illustrate here so one of the big debates is is it Barnabas or is it Paul who was the righteous dude now if you're an encourager you're going to go for Barnabas right If you're more of a leader personality you're gonna say yeah can't take that guy he defected on the first trip so who's right the answer is both are right there's another issue and I'm going to illustrate how they did this in a really cool way but there's another issue that's raised here and a lot of theologians say well what God was doing and I would say providentially this is true what God was doing is he was expanding he was taking one mission trip and actually expanding them into two so barnabas and john mark they go off to an island and they do ministry there now we're never hearing from them again in the book of acts but we do hear from paul who affirms barnabas and john mark in his letters what does this mean listen close what this means is they did not split emotional sheets they were still knit together as brothers in Jesus they had a total different philosophical approach about how to go and reach the world but they were united in spirit and that is the big lesson here let me be clear I believe the biggest takeaway from this passage is how people handle differences without creating a mess I want to say this again I think this is the biggest important lesson from this little passage this Is all about how you handle differences without creating a mess. I'm gonna do this carefully. Luke is writing the book of Acts. He is giving us the raw, honest thing about this conflict between Barnabas and Paul. Do you know what's missing? Do you know what's not written of? You get no hint anywhere that this conflict between these two brothers in any way disrupted the church, not even a ripple in the water. Why? Because these brothers did something that a lot of us who are in conflict need to learn the art of doing. They learn the beauty of this. Embracing conviction without causing destruction this is huge i am absolutely convinced this is the biggest thing i got chills right now thinking about this because we often wonder oh don't we need to have consensus don't we need to all get along now don't we all need to see it the same way i'm telling you right now there is no way we're going to see everything the same way but it's okay that it's that way the only question is, how are we going to handle it? Are we going to force people to adopt our way of thinking? Are we going to try to coerce people into believing the way we believe? This not only has to do with personalities, it has to do with theology. This is why my doctrinal statement, the older I get, gets shorter and shorter, and, but more embedded in concrete. It's like there's my doctrinal statement used to be this long and I t- and I found out from the Lord, "Oh, I had a bunch of things in this doctrinal statement that were just kind of my opinion." And there were good people that had a totally different view on this one. And so, although my doctorate statement's gotten shorter, it's gotten much stronger. And there are things that I'm not willing to divide fellowship over. In fact, I'm going to be this bold. There are myriad things I'm not willing to divide fellowship over that I used to split sheets with people all the time. You know what that's called? Maturity. let me illustrate it for you in a funny way I've never shared this story publicly before so I got to do it carefully some of you might be getting nervous already you should be I was a newborn follower of Jesus I'm in Central California I'm a framer by trade I need to make some money I'm a, le- I'm a goer, guys. I'm an entrepreneur. So I drove to Hollister, California, right 300 feet from the San Andreas Fault. A guy was developing fourplexes. He needed a framer. I found out we get three times the square footage price to frame in Hollister than we do in Madeira. And so I'm like, I am driving from Madeira an hour and 45 minutes each way with a crew of eight, and we're gonna build these fourplexes and bank some money. So I'm driving, pew, up in the morning, 4.30 a.m., out the door, bang, headed down 99, up through the uh, mountain pass into Hollister, California, which is closer to San Francisco than Central California. We get to Hollister, start working on these things. Man, I've got a great crew. We're building two fourplexes. All it was with rigging axes, sinking 16 penny nails tilting walls squaring them stacking trusses and sheeting those things and we were flying we were making bank driving down the road one day headed to Hollister California and my pickup truck for which I've got four guys in shuts down I whip open the hood I've got a dead generator I'm like oh no I tell the other crew go on get there I'll get these guys as quick as I can I get under the hood pull out the generator grab it and say hang on guys maybe get a nap I'm gonna bolt back to the nearest town I'm gonna get a generator I'll be back as quick as I can generator in hand run across the street stick my thumb out first car first car pulls over (laughs) I'm like, awesome. I run up to the guy, jump in the car. I sit down. And he goes, what do you need? I said, I got to get a new generator. He said, I'll help you. He's driving. And then he looks at me and he goes, God told me I was going to pick you up today. And I'm like, cool. I'm brand new born again, man. I'm now, my life is radically changed. I am free from cocaine, free from alcohol addiction. I am open, man. I'm ready to listen. And he says to me, God told me I was going to pick you up, and I got one question for you. And I'm thinking, could you look at the road? He says, I got a serious question for you. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, I have. I have. When I was born again, according to Ephesians 1, and I'm telling them about how I'm sealed in the Holy Spirit, and he says to me, now watch it here. I'm going to go back to this point of Paul and Barnabas. He says to me, have you spoken in tongues? Okay. Now, before I go any further, I need you to know something. I have some of the most unbelievable friends of mine have what they would call a personal prayer language, or they speak in tongues. I do not have that. it's got real quiet everybody's listening in here right now this is really cool okay so back to the car so I'm driving down the road I'm like I'm like five weeks old in Jesus Christ and I've got a total wild-eyed crazy man driving me to get a new generator and he said no I'm asking you have you spoken in tongues I said I haven't side of the road I'm wide open at this point. I'm like, Lord, what do you want to do? I said, whatever you've got for me, you've already radically changed my life. I don't know anything about this. All I know is I was raised in a church, that if anyone spoke in tongues, they got kicked out. But if you want me to do something here, I'm going to do it. So I prayed with them. He said, I'm going to pray over you, I'm going to pray over you. And he opened up the word of God and he's teaching through the word of God and he's showing me everything and I'm kind of countering on some things and then I'm thinking, I got guys sitting back here and I'm paying them an hourly wage while we're talking about the gift of tongues. And so he's working with me, working with me, working with me and then, and then he says, I'm going to pray and I'm going to lay hands on you that the power of the gift of tongues would come on you and I, I need you to hear me right now. I am not deriding this at all. At all, not in the slightest. But he laid hands on me, and he's praying, and I'm earnestly saying, "God, if you've got him for me, let's go. I'm ready to roll." And ain't nothing happening. So he teaches a little bit more, and now 20, 25 minutes has gone by, and now 30 minutes has gone by, and we're sitting on the side of the road, and there's cars just flying by, and I've got, I'm paying guys huge dollars to sit on their keister down the road here. He says, I'm going to pray one more time. And he prays one more time, and there's nothing. And then he says, All right, here's what I'm going to do I'm going to start speaking in tongues, and I want you to pray along with me. And at this point, I'm 35 minutes into this. And I said to God in my heart, God, please forgive me, but I am about to get the gift of tongues. (laughs) I did. I did and he prayed and he said you pray what I prayed and he prayed and I prayed what he prayed and then he prayed it faster and I prayed it faster and he said it faster and I said it faster and he said did you get it I said I got something (laughs) and he said hallelujah threw his arms up in the air and he drove me down the road and I got my generator and we got on our way now I want to be really careful with this because I happen to be of the belief that there are people who have a gift of tongues. Now it got real quiet in here. I also believe that if a tongue is spoken in an assembly there better be an interpreter or everybody ought to be quiet so we get to the job site and me and Matt we're young followers of Jesus and we're hungry about this thing and I start telling him this story he goes and we're up on the top of a fourplex in this thing and he says man what if you grieved the Holy Spirit I said do you think I did he said I don't know but let's pray right now but as we pray in case we get filled let's nail ourselves off to the roof so that we don't fall off and die no joking guys I'm just being really straight with you here so we got 16 penny nail guns he shoots them through our framing bag leather bag we are now nailed to the roof and he prays Holy God, well, he's got a mouthful of Copenhagen, I might add. Holy God, if you want to move in power, we had a sweet time. We ultimately had to get a cat's paw out in a wonder bar, get myself detached from the roof, and get on with the day. Why do I share that story? Because we can't coerce or manipulate anyone. Into anything nor should we have disdain for those who are passionate for something that they believe and possess we got to be a place of grace where we embrace our convictions but we don't cause destruction it's called maturity and there's a blueprint here that we live by and it's awesome and it gives freedom and latitude and grace And I'm convinced I'm gonna see my wild-eyed friend in glory one day and we're gonna laugh together God loves us guys and when his spirit is on the move we do everything to not let there be a ripple in the church no matter how we may see something differently quick caveat and then I'll roll Are there some things that we go to the wall for? Absolutely. The deity of Jesus, the Holy Trinity, the power of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the sinful nature of man, the constitution of a moral, healthy family, how God sees the nuclear family as the birthplace of of righteousness and hope in a culture today. Yeah, there's a lot of things we stand for but as you get older you learn to shake hands and love each other it's really a cool thing twists Timothy's and turns now we go to the Timothy's Look at this in Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. First time he meets Timothy right here. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. Oh, so he's got a Jewish mom and a Greek dad. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. I'll explain here in a moment. For they all knew that his father was Greek, and as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for obedient, for observance they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles. That's what Ajit shared last week, and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Now, the Greeks were told, you do not have to be circumcised and abide by the law of Moses. But there were at least four things they were told that they needed to do. And it's in Acts 15, 19 through 20, and let me just read these to you. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. So they gave them basic things that need to not be done. And why were these called forward? Food sacrifice to idols showed, wow, we're, we're messing with false gods over here. We've compromised ourselves sexuality because there was temple prostitution and it's repeated over and over again in scripture who were to have sex with and that's with our spouse the love of our youth and saved for that nothing burdens a bridge of trust more than sexual interactions prior to marriage now it may sound old-fashioned and passe but it leads to rich intimacy in marriage and the goal in marriage is not good sex It is good intimacy and good intimacy always brings good sex I had a man tell me one time well don't you have to see if you're gonna have good sexual relations with a woman don't you have to check it out I mean on occasions anatomically people don't connect I said listen to me my friend good sex is the result of a heart that is fully given to someone It has so much more to do with the intimacy of the soul, especially for the woman, than the act of sex. But suffice it to say, this going up to a temple prostitute and kind of getting it on, there is nothing but a lose-lose situation there. So that was a given. Threw that in for free, and it's quiet again in here right now so why did they circumcise timothy you got to ask this question when you're going through the word of god it gets really exciting when you ask questions like why is something not there why is this there why is why is everything going on the way it is i believe it's in the heart of the apostle paul that although greeks didn't need to be circumcised because timothy's mama was jewish he said hey let's go take the high road here how do i know this because it's Paul himself who wrote one of my favorite little passages of scripture for though I am free I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them to the Jews I became Jew in order to win the Jews to those under the law I became as one under the law though not myself being under the law that I might win those under the law to those outside the law I became as one outside the law i became all things to all people so that by any possible means i might save some see what paul was doing here guys what paul was doing here is he was coaching this young protege timothy saying look dude i know you're way past eight days old and this is gonna hurt but we're doing this so that nothing gets in the way of the gospel that's why it was given But there's a bigger plot going on here this is why you read the Bible looking at things what do we find Paul hears about Timothy what do we find that he hears that he has a great reputation not only in the town that they're in but two other towns this guy wasn't a disciple in name only this guy was all in Here's a principle I want to give you that you can take to the spiritual bank morning, noon, and night. Invest your energy in those who are spiritually hungry and it will carry you. In fact, let me put it to you this way. Offer the gospel to everyone. Invest your energy in the spiritually hungry. I'm not gonna single out a couple of guys that are sitting here right now one's pretty new to the church family but there is something really cool to me about young men that come in get radically transformed by the power and grace of God and then they're like show me man I'm all in I'm ready to go see when I was a young man as a pastor I found myself investing a lot of time in people that weren't hungry and I've told you this once before, but I want to tell you this again. Robert Lewis, my mentor, giant of a man, wrote Men's Fraternity, Promise Keeper Speaker, just a bigger than life kind of guy, should have been President of the United States. Just a great man of God. And I went into him one day and I said, Robert, I have these appointments that I'm setting up with all these guys that say they want to meet with me. About half of them are no shows, or if they show up, they aren't ready. He said listen what you've got to do Carl is measure the hunger of someone so you gave me a simple little project and that was give them an assignment and mine was read the book of James three times very short book look at the first chapter give me ten observations from the ter- first chapter and ten questions that you're saying pastor Carl help me with these questions and when you have got those give me a call The amount of appointments I had went down precipitously but the energy that I invested had way more return on that investment this is a principle for those of us that have employees this is a spiritual principle that transcends almost everything I mean this has principles even with our wayward kids guys You don't invest spiritual energy until we are broken at the end of ourself and ready to really go and grow with God. Twists, Timothy's, and turns. This next little passage is something else. Acts 16, verse 6. I'm going to turn back there in my Bible. Acts 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, be careful here as you listen to this. This isn't Asia as in Asia up here. This is Asia Minor. This is a peninsula of Asia. It's kind of westernmost point of Asia. So it is modern-day Turkey is what they're talking about. And look at what it says here. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So here we have not only the Holy Spirit but the spirit of Jesus in verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. They covered a huge distance and they just kept moving. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying come over to Macedonia in this vision and help us and when Paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them so there's something going on in the early church that's undeniable the Holy Spirit is blocking them here the Holy Spirit is opening doors here and the Holy Spirit is closing doors over here so I got a question for you is it okay to have an open door closed door approach to how you get guidance in your life and I'm gonna tell you right now don't you dare unless you've got a few principles in place let me be super clear here it is so dangerous to have an open door policy why because Satan opens doors of opportunity for us all the time I've heard so many people say this well God just kind of opened this door and, and this just seems like a good opportunity here as followers of Jesus we measure opportunities through the grid of something totally different than mere open or closed doors I'm gonna be this bold there are some apparently closed doors that God by the power of the Spirit want you to kick down so if you go with open door closed door and you don't know how many elders I've heard say this not our elders, God forbid maybe we have actually because it's an urban myth how many of you guys have heard this We've heard open door, closed door all the time, right? Be careful with this one. You know what? I have seen open door approach to opportunities get some of the most precious women married to some of the biggest fools. So Pastor Carl, didn't the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, for a wide door for effective work is open for me? Yes! Yes! A wide door was open to him, now we get a hint, for effective work. So I want to be really bold with you right now. I'm going to give you three principles that were open door, closed door, yes or no's for the Apostle Paul, Barnabas, and all the early church fathers, and I'm going to tell you exactly how you can discern whether or not a closed door or an open door is for you to go through. Ready for it? Need you to listen close. I can prove this to you biblically and I'm gonna give it to you right now you think you've got the Holy Spirit prompting you on something maybe to go through a door that seems a little bit jammed but he's saying you got to go through there he might be here's how you know I'm gonna say it this way gospel presentation if it is about gospel presentation and there seems to be a door that is opened up for you I would say there is good likelihood with wise counsel that may be true salvation If you have an opportunity to share Jesus Christ with someone and a door has been opened, take it. It's always God's will for your life. But here's the big one, sanctification. If the door that has been opened to you has a better chance of growing you up in your relationship with Jesus, go through it. But if that open door could lead to spiritual isolation, could lead to spiritual compromise could lead to manipulation on a date do I need to fill in the blanks here don't take the door gospel, salvation sanctification what would Paul say 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 this is the will of God your sanctification so this is what I'd say remember what paul said in 1 corinthians 16 9 i love to refer to this all the time for a wide door for effective work has opened to me he didn't say a wide door has opened and it's been confirmed because there's a, a sale on a buffet every sunday at you know he was writing to corinth in ephesus he didn't say something ancillary or foolish Gospel salvation and for you Transformation I had a guy come to me when I was in Little Rock, Arkansas And he said to me Pastor Carl I've got an opportunity that has opened up for me in Dallas, Texas What would you say I I should do? Well, what would you say he should do? Well, you know, we look at this through a lot of different lenses Will it further you professionally? Good question, but not top tier That's a B-level question will you make more money that's a c-level question how do I know that I know people that are filthy rich that are miserable so that that can't be up here grow you professionally make more money maybe probably not so then what's the question how does a pantser answer them and I looked at him and I said Greg if that move to Dallas based on the people you're going to be around based on the fellowship you're going to have is going to grow you up in your relationship with God more so than it would be in here you need to go bro he went he grew he flourished he found his bride there They now have a lot of mouths to feed. It's really cool how God works. I have something I hadn't planned on sharing, but I just want to say this. My bride and I have an incredible heart for particularly single women. Because we live in a world today, young ladies, that we have a lot of men that are very passive. Passivity is running amok among our men. One of the things we're going to try to do here at 180 is put a fuel in the belly of some men that they reject passivity, accept responsibility, and lead courageously. But listen to... Yeah, we can cheer for that. That's right on. But, but I, need you to, I need you to hear me, young ladies. It is better to walk alone for a short season or long than to compromise the choices of your soul and find yourself yoked with a man that does not have the spiritual DNA to help you grow. Now, if you're with a man that can't help you grow, what did Paul say? Grow anyway. Find some friends that can help you grow because one day, because of the life that you are living for Jesus, you stand the best chance of turning them on to the real deal. So we grow and we go. Now the big takeaway of this passage, and then it's wrestled with those three pieces, is simply this one. Allow your direction to be altered by spirit intervention. Allow it to be, guys. Think this way. Gospel, salvation, sanctification. I promise you, you run all your decision-making through the grid of those three things, gospel, salvation, sanctification. When they put you in a ground and your dead tent is pushing up daisies, you're going to have left a legacy that's worth something rich, man. I promise you that. I want you to bow your head. And I want to make one statement. The church that is humble, teachable, and flexible is unstoppable. Unstoppable. Now, I'm going to say that again. In fact, I want you to look up at the screen. The church that is humble. The church, that, the church that has people that have totally different kinds of convictions about how we handle different situations but we're resolved to not allow ripples to be made. The church that is humble, teachable, and flexible by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am convinced of this. Is a church that is unstoppable. I did a little more teaching today than preaching, but these are hugely important lessons that we find in the Word here, guys. They're huge. These are huge. God's Word is so alive, man. It's so alive. You let this stuff get inside you. It'll direct you, man. Oh, Father, in this moment, shape us, guide us, direct us. We thank you. Lead us in a song, Corey. this is God who gives us the humility to love others who are different from us really well without causing a mess. And may the God who wants to make us hungry to be teachable make us hungry indeed. May the God who breathed life into us make us flexible to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we, may we be guided indeed. To him be glory in the church, both now and forevermore.